Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, author David Owen joins us to talk about what happens once you've lost your hearing and how much technology can actually help. Then you'll learn about the psychology behind our reactions to a crisis, like the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Over the last couple weeks on Curiosity Daily, you've heard author David Owen talk about why it's so important to protect your ears when you're young, and some tips for keeping your hearing happy and healthy for as long as possible. You can find links to those episodes in today's show notes. But for today's conversation, let's say you feel like you've already started to lose your hearing. What are the symptoms? And can technology help you do something about it? Here's the third and final part of our interview with David Owen, author of the new book, Volume Control, Hearing in a Deafening World. We'll start with how you can diagnose hearing damage in the first place. You know, there are lots of, there are lots of symptoms. And sometimes, you know, we get warnings early on and we ignore them. For example, you can go to a show, a really loud show, you come out, your ears are ringing, you, you have trouble hearing for a day or two, but then everything's fine. A couple of days later, you can hear. And the, the conventional thinking was always that this was a, a temporary hearing problem uh, that took care of itself. Now the concern is that even uh, a hearing problem like that, which seems to go away a couple of days later, is actually a result of permanent nerve damage that doesn't go away. And it's hard to detect from a standard hearing test, but it, it once again, it accumulates. And the problem becomes worse uh, the older you get with more exposure. So I think that even even exposures that we're accustomed to thinking of as, you know, oh, this is a temporary problem, my ears are fine because two days later they, they seem fine, uh, very often that, that seemingly temporary loss was accompanied by actual permanent loss. And as it accumulates, it has to get to a certain point before it begins to uh, affect your life, uh, but then it does. You know, one of the, very often, because the change is gradual, people don't necessarily notice it as it's happening it's more often the case that the people around them are the ones who notice it. So it's, you know, it's, it's a, a boyfriend or girlfriend or a spouse who realizes that, you know, you can't really hear, you're not hearing as well as you should. And I think also once you become aware of it, you realize that more people have hearing problems than you think they do. I have a friend who's, we, he's a lawyer. My, my friends and I were always sort of marveled that such a space cadet could be a lawyer. But I, gradually I realized, you know, after I worked on this book, I realized that you know, it's not that he's, you know, just like on a different, tuned to a different frequency. He can't hear what people are saying. And when he makes a comment that seems like this, you know, completely from nowhere, non sequitur, it's because he misunderstood the, the conversation and he's, he's, he's joining, he thinks he's joining in, but, uh, but he doesn't know. There's certainly some corrective technology. Uh, are you aware of, what would you say is maybe the most cutting edge? Like what's the latest in technology and treatments that might give some hope for people that are suffering from hearing loss? There are a number. Uh, you know, there are a whole lot of people of very smart people who are working on what they hope will be uh, like, you know, an injection that could cause uh, your ears to uh, regrow cells that it no longer has. I recently went to a demonstration by some people who are doing on that and they believe that in a trial with humans, they've had some success. Uh, with it. And, it, it, and if that works out, it would be, uh, you know, sort of mind-boggling. There are also, uh, technology is, uh, e there's lots of technology out there, and it's, the rap against hearing aids has always been that they are incredibly expensive. People tend to wait an average of 10 years before they notice a hearing problem in themselves before they do something about it. 
And one of the reasons they they delay is that they worry about the cost. Hearing aids tend not to be covered by health insurance or not completely covered. They're not covered by Medicare. But an additional difficulty is that hearing aids don't work the way people expect them to. If you uh, aren't seeing as well as you used to, if you're uh, you're becoming nearsighted or farsighted, you go to the doctor, you get a pair of glasses, and and your vision is restored. You can see as well as you could before you started to, to lose your vision. Hearing aids don't work the same way. If you have obliterated the sensory cells that pick up certain frequencies, there's nothing that any device can do to give you back the ability to hear those frequencies. The connections aren't there anymore, so you can you can crank the sound as loud as you want. There's no signal that's going to go through. So what people tend to, when they try on hearing aids for the first time, they have to get used to it. It's not like the sudden change, a restoration that you get with glasses. Uh, it, it sounds different. Uh, the sound quality isn't isn't necessarily high. It takes time for your brain to get used to hearing in a new way. And also, uh, you know, potentially to hear sounds that you haven't been hearing for a long time. So people can be startled by, you know, suddenly they can be, they had hearing loss. Suddenly they can hear sound uh, that they didn't even know were there, and it's distracting. They have to take time getting used to those devices to where they can get everything in balance again inside their own head. And that's particularly true for cochlear implants, right? If if someone was born deaf and they and they get a cochlear implant, their their brains actually have to rewire is that is that right yeah it's definitely true and our brains are really are really amazing you know at any age i think it's can be easier for somebody who is who had good hearing and lost it to adapt to uh cochlear implants because they know what sound is uh and so they are able to sometimes for them it's it's easier to adapt for newborns it has to be the rule used to be that cochlear implants wouldn't be given to people until they reached the age of 21 until they were adult and now it's it's known that earlier is better, that you want to give sound input to a child when they're at the stage when their brains are, are primed for language acquisition. Because if they're not hearing any stimuli at that time, it's it, they're missing out this huge window of when kids seem to just pick up uh, language. So yes, it, it's important to give the brain a chance to adapt to these different signals. Science is helping us save our hearing, but the best advice is to not lose it in the first place. So be safe and protect your ears. You can read more in David Owen's new book, Volume Control, Hearing in a Deafening World. Before we get into our next story, we wanted to mention that early this morning, we released a special bonus episode of Curiosity Daily. It's a full-length interview with an epidemiologist who answers some common questions around COVID-19. So check your podcast feed for a special treat. If you're listening to this podcast as part of your Amazon Alexa flash briefing, then you'll need to visit curiositydaily.com to stream or download that episode right from our website. Or pull it up on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other podcast app. Completely free of charge, as always. Now let's get into some crisis psychology to help you figure out how to manage your mind in these strange times. The news about COVID-19 has hit different people in different ways. Some seemed to overreact. Others denied that it was even a problem. This is normal, and what psychologists call an adjustment reaction. Dr. Peter Sandman is a veteran crisis communicator who served on the World Health Organization's SARS Scientific Research Advisory Committee, among many other professional achievements. And according to him, that knee-jerk overreaction to a potential crisis is actually extremely helpful. It's denial that we want to avoid. 
Here are the key ingredients for the adjustment reaction, according to Dr. Sandman. At first, you might stop doing things that suddenly seem dangerous, like shaking your neighbor's hand, or even things that aren't that dangerous but just feel risky, like taking a walk outside. You might become hypervigilant and start watching the news, Googling statistics, or scrolling Twitter nonstop. You may also personalize the risk by vividly imagining what it would be like to become infected. Sound familiar? Fear isn't fun, but a fearful overreaction is actually much better than being caught unprepared. Think of it like a mental and emotional rehearsal that gets you ready for big changes before they happen. People imagine the worst so they'll know what to do if it comes. It's tempting to comfort others by downplaying their fear. But Dr. Sandman says it's actually harmful to tell people that they shouldn't be worried yet or that they shouldn't take any precautions. It's also not okay to tell people that their normal adjustment reactions are panicky or irrational. But what you really don't want is denial. Think of denial as panic's circuit breaker. When you're about to panic, your brain might automatically switch into denial instead. That's kind of reasonable considering that people in panic are likely to make rash, harmful decisions. But denial keeps you from taking important precautions to protect yourself. The key is to find a balance between panic and denial. So what should you do in these scary times when probably everyone you know is having a different adjustment reaction? The important thing to do is help yourself and loved ones find the best ways to act on your fear. Listen to the advice of government officials and health professionals and skip the fear-mongering and dubious fixes coming from regular people on social media. The key is to validate the adjustment reactions we're having right now and find the healthiest possible ways of responding to our fear. Fear is important. It's okay to be afraid right now, but it's important to direct that fear toward healthy, thoughtful action as best we can. All right, well, let's recap what we learned today. Well, I learned that if you're losing your hearing, you're probably not going to be the first one to notice. It's probably going to be the people around you. Yeah, and hearing aids can help, but only if you can afford them. Turns out they're not covered by most health insurance providers, and they're not going to restore the specific parts of your hearing that you've lost. I mean, really, as of right now, once your hearing is gone, it's gone forever. Yeah, hopefully in the future they can fix that. But as of now, you're stuck with what you got. Yeah. And I learned about the adjustment reaction, which we all experience when we're first learning about a crisis. Honestly, the more I learn about the psychology of this stuff, like the more comforted I feel, because it's just good to know that the things that I've been feeling are normal and psychologists know about them and they have names. The thing I think we're all learning is that in the case of a pandemic, the correct reaction is a reaction to what's going to happen tomorrow, not today. And if you're reacting to something that's happening tomorrow, that's going to seem like an overreaction. So it's not going to seem like it's the right thing to do. But in this case, it is. Everything that's right to do seems irrational. And that's the hard thing to wrap your head around. Right. And real quick, I want to mention, we've said a couple times on yesterday's episode that everyone's kind of cooped up right now. I just want to be really clear on that. I don't mean everyone is working from home. I fully recognize lots of people are going out and doing jobs and working in grocery stores and gas stations and other places. And like, you're crushing it and mad respect to you. What I mean by people are cooped up is like, no one's going out to the theater or sporting events or concerts or anything like that. So there are far fewer social interaction opportunities. That's what I meant by being cooped up. And that's that's objectively widespread, right? Like no one has as many opportunities to go out as they did before this. So I uh, just want to be clear on that. And 
best of luck and keep on crushing it if you are still going into work every day. Like it's a big deal and what you're doing is really important. I mean, yeah, you're you're keeping society going. That's that's a pretty important job. Pretty important. Yeah. Today's last story was written by Kelsey Donk and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And maybe we'll have a surprise that's on the later side. And until then, stay curious.